All right, we are accepting calls this hour from time travelers only. If you have traveled in time or you are presently a traveler to this time, then we want to hear from you. Otherwise, the phone lines are closed, but for that group, they are certainly open. Uh, with that in mind, uh, top of the morning to you on the wild card line. You are on the air. Hello. Hello. is in progress right here on the infinite fringe hope everybody's doing well i said we were going to end the year strong and i fully intend to do that and, and and intention is the first part you intend to do it then you do it right there ain't nothing to it but to do it and like yoda said there is no try you do right so this is what we're going to do we're going to finish the year strong <laughs> how's everybody doing my name is billy ray valentine hey Listen, thank you everyone who came out to Free World NYC. I know I said it in the last episode, but I will say it again. I received some emails from some of you. I will be returning those emails. Thank you so much. You know, you know I'm the worst. I'm the worst at returning emails. I'm the rest of the worst at returning phone calls, all of that. But 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 it's in the head and and it's coming. So I'm gonna do all of that. Um and I have a very special guest. He was with me here in New York. Uh, and I got to see him for the second time in my life. I know I can I can reasonably say now that he is a real person, you know. <laughs> my man, Mr. Wayne McCroy, the alchemical tech revolution is here. We're going to be talking about something different. But every time I, I, I say, well, not not totally different, but but every time I say I, I, I talk about Wayne, alchemy just comes in my head. One time Wayne sent me a picture of him with an Ant-Man uh 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 mask on and i called him the alchemical ant man it just sticks you know me i like to give nicknames to everybody but my guys here how you doing sir welcome back to the infinite fringe it's been a long time you've been busy sir and thank you for putting on a hell of a performance as usual at free world nyc next year lord willing when we have you back and if you're willing to come back we're gonna have to put you somewhere else on the card I like to open strong, but it was too strong, Wayne. Like it's like, damn. <laughs> you know, uh, if if you guys, uh, you know, we're gonna put the video of all that. We have the video, Wayne. I'm gonna send it to you. Um, but we're gonna uh, put the video up of all that. I know it's up on the the new prisoners podcast, the new prisoners uh, page on Rumble, um, TNP Live. Shouts to number six. It's up there if you guys want to watch it. But we're gonna put it up on America Unplugged, a Rockfin channel as well. Mister Wayne McCroy, how are you? Welcome back. Hey, doing well, man. Good to be back on with you. Always a pleasure, my friend, speaking to you on air, off air, whatever. We don't talk enough, and that's because we're both busy guys. But uh, it is what it is. Good to be back on the fringe. Thank you for thank you for coming on. Now, I, I wanted to have you on for a variety of reasons, and and uh, we've been working towards this for a while. But it's you know mostly my fault. Uh, regardless, we are here now. Uh, you put out a new book in in February. It says. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it was February. Yep. 
Right. And, and I, and I want to talk about it. It's a fascinating title in itself. Um, and you guys, you can get this on Amazon right now, the hardcover that's dope. I didn't know there was a hardcover to this. That's fantastic. Uh, autism, AI and the singularity, ladies and gentlemen, uh, digitizing human consciousness, man. I have a feeling this is going to be an incredible show. Um, Probably a controversial one. Talk to us about your new book. What made you write it? Well, as you know, and some of the listeners probably know, autism is a subject that is very, very personal to me. I have three children on the spectrum, so I understand the ins and outs of the condition like no one else. I've been there. I've had... Well, my oldest who has autism is now 15. So 15 plus years of experience dealing with it day in and day out, 24-7 for 15 years. And this has actually caused me to dig deep into the research as to causative factors and what's going on with it. And lo and behold, I discovered a link to transhumanism. And some people may find that shocking. This is actually my second book talking about this very subject. My first book is called The Autism Epidemic, Transhumanism's Dirty Little Secret. And that lays down a lot of groundwork for people. And this is a tough topic to talk about because oftentimes people, they shut down when you start talking about the negative side of a neurological condition like this. And that's that's problematic. And that's part of the problem with the communication because I'm trying to communicate. This is what I found this actually deserves some serious scrutiny and maybe some, you know, scientific study into it to see what's going on with this. And nobody wants to touch it with a 10 foot pole. And it's concerning because how prevalent is autism in this day and age? And there's other conditions that go with this too. I mean, and this is not just autism. There's other things that go along with this that I think are part and parcel of the same thing going on. Things like Alzheimer's, things like Uh, the various bipolar disorders and these various other neurological conditions that are happening at massive rates across the board. And this is something many people are unaware of. You're talking over 20% of the entire population has some type of a a neurological condition like this, 20% overall. So one out of every five people has something going on, some kind of a psychological disorder and or neurological event of some sort like this. So this is a massively concerning thing. So what's different in this day and age that we have now that hasn't been in the past? So I've gone back and I've looked at all the different facets to this. What are some of the causative factors? And wouldn't you know it, a lot of it has to do with modern industrialization Mm. and the various substances that are somehow incorporated into the human body through environmental factors. And I think that has a huge function to play in this. Although many will tell you things like this have a genetic component to them and they're not wrong. Some people have a a genetic predisposition to be more apt to developing things like this than others. But there is an environmental factor in long that goes at play along with this. And that's something that the medical community has been trying to deny for way too long, in my estimation. And it's something that does deserve a little bit more looking at, more scrutiny into what is the causative agent or factor here. And I think there's multiple causative agents 
at play with what causes the onset of these type of symptoms, particularly with the autism epidemic. And it is an epidemic, make no doubt about it. It's an epidemic. And I've got some numbers here that I'd be willing to share with you and the listeners if you want to listen. That's why we're here. So, (laughs) So just over the course between the writing of these two books, this newest one that I just did, and the first one I did on autism, I, that one was released in 2019. So I put that one out in 2019, and here we are four years later, less than four years, and we have significant changes in some of the data. And I'm just going to read this portion right out of my book for you. In 2019, the data showed that the vast majority of the cases of autism had average or above intelligence. This number was around 44%. So keep that in mind. 2019, when I did the initial investigation and put together and collated the initial data for my first book on autism, this number of those who had above average or average intelligence on the autism spectrum was at 44%. So that's a mass majority, a vast majority of those on the autism spectrum had average or above intelligence. And a lot of people will associate autism with the more severe cases of autism with the the lesser intelligence, but that's neither here nor there. So just looking at this number alone, let's continue here. So in these three to four short years, since I wrote that first book, we now see an even more drastic shift towards the majority being high functioning. In a recent study, it was shown that the percentage could actually now be as high as 59%. So 59% of all autists over the course of the past three years now, that's a jump in 15% over the course of three years are high functioning. Conservatively, 15% in less than three years. So this is a statistical anomaly that should not be overlooked as evidence. So what's going on here? Well, my general premise that I came up with is I've seen and I've produced, I've shown where I looked for this in my books. I've seen an awful lot of evidence to suggest that somebody somewhere in this world in which we live is attempting to produce what's called autism without intellectual impairment for various reasons. And it seems to me there's some evidence to suggest that, especially when you see a massive jump in these cases of what you would call high-functioning autism over the course of three years, 15% increase over the course of three years. That's an obscene statistic. Like, think about that. That's beyond, like, a coincidental type of a statistic. It goes beyond probability, like statistical probability, to see that big of a jump in the number of cases of autism on the higher functioning end. So this suggests to me that there's some type of a an agenda going on attempting to produce specific factors or speci- specific traits that are inherent in autism without some of the more less attractive ones. So it seems to me this condition is being engineered in a certain direction because we have seen over the course, and I actually covered this in the first book I did on autism, where we have seen a major decrease in the number of severe cases of autism. Now, that's not to say there are statistically like more of them than there were in the past. There there certainly are. But the percentage of those on the autism spectrum that have it are much lower. That's decreased. 
Right, right, right. So the severe cases have decreased and the what you would call high functioning cases have increased. And it seems like exponentially. So now you're talking 59 percent. That's almost six out of 10 who are on the autism spectrum are what you would call high functioning autists, which means that, uh, well, they only have some minor deficits in social interactions and stuff like that. And oftentimes, many of these people have savant type skills as well. So in my estimation, what my theory is, and this is conjecture, okay, just putting it out there for everybody, I can't 100% prove this, but my conjecture is somebody out there somewhere decided that they wanted to engineer this condition for a certain reason. They wanted to engineer the more positive aspects of it and decrease the negative aspects of it for some ultimate goal. And from what I could see, it would appear that this has to do with the autistic brain being more compatible with merging with machines or computers. And that's just, you know, uh, <laughs> that, that that's just opening the floodgates here. I mean, a lot of people will find this position very controversial, right. understandably so. And I wish it wasn't the case, but it, it just appears to me there's an agenda at play here. And we've seen this normalization of this condition in society. And it's concerning to me. I mean, as a parent, as a human being, I don't want to see anybody saddled with this disability. And many people will disagree with me and say it's not a disability. Well, let me tell you something. As the parent of three children on the autism spectrum, I will tell you it is very much a disability for them. It interferes with daily life on a level you don't understand unless you live with it 24-7. It interferes with your daily functioning. And although maybe socially we go out somewhere, everybody tells me, wow, your kids are so good. They're so well behaved and everything like that. Well, they don't see them day in and day out when they're at their worst, when they're at home, when they're having meltdowns and this kind of thing. When, when they're, you know, they can't express themselves properly in a neurotypical type fashion. They don't see the negative sides of it. And they look and they, they you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know my children have any type of a disability like this because intellectually they're all very smart. All of them, all three of them on the spectrum, they're they're smart. They fall in this high functioning category, as we said. So you wouldn't know by looking at them that there was anything going on like that. And it's kind of a silent epidemic at this point because so many people actually have this condition now. And they just muddle through life and they have their difficulties. And, and largely, they don't know how to express those difficulties because one of the major facets or problems with it is this, this social disconnect. So what I have seen and experienced firsthand is there's an affinity towards technology that goes with this as well. So uh, my oldest who has autism, he's 15 now, he is a computer whiz. Like he will, he actually builds his own computers and everything. And he wants to make a career out of that. And he's really smart. He knows what he's doing. Uh, he knows how to, do all kinds of different hacking and stuff like that too. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's interesting. He knows how to do all kinds of computer mods. He's really interested in gaming and doing all that kind of stuff. But there's this affinity there for the computer. That's how he does the vast majority of his socialization. He talks to people online. He doesn't like having in-person in interactions. Right, right, right. With 
So he would rather be on the computer and communicating with people that way and like playing games and stuff like that with others rather than having a physical one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody. He's still very awkward in that kind of way, like socially, but uh, he has come a long way. He's overcome so much. God bless. But it does, it does very much interfere with your social daily life right. in a lot of different ways. But there are people who say that it's not a disability. And actually, there's been this, this trope, this social engineering trope as of late, that it can actually be a benefit, that it's beneficial to have autism. I, I don't know if you've seen much of that, but this is certainly something that's going yeah, I've on. Seen it. Yeah. <laughs> so they're they're saying like, you know. Uh, so much so that there's actually people that make the claim that uh, autism is the next step in human evolution. And they've actually tied it back to important other steps in human evolution in the past. There's whole research communities that have done this. So <laughs> it's an interesting form of thinking, too. They say it's an integral part of human evolution, that without autism, we wouldn't be where we are today. And that's another thing that I've kind of discovered. If you go back yeah. through the historical record and narrative. This didn't appear until the early, late 1800s, early 1900s. Anything with these similar type of traits associated with it. It wasn't in the literature up until that time at all, anywhere. So something's changed since then. But of course, these people, there are these academics and these certain special interest groups out there that want to try to convince us that autism has been with us throughout all of human history and that it was an important factor in the evolution of mankind. And there's actually researchers out there um, on the uh, anthropological side of things that have made claims like this in various research papers and stuff they've produced. And that's out there. Uh, there's one, her name's Penny Spikins, who's done a lot of writing on this. And this is where I first found the terminology, quote unquote, autism without intellectual impairment mm. so <laughs> this is this is one of the things that led me to start digging further and deeper mm. and finding that there's there's all of these different associated agendas attached to this whole notion and they've been really doing their utmost to normalize this condition and to try to scream down anybody who questions it Right, right. Say, you know, you're ableist or, you know, you're, you're, you're discriminatory. Uh, I've, I've encountered all of it, man. And I, I couldn't be further from the truth. I have three kids on the autism spectrum. I want what's best for them. Right. That's one of the main reasons why I started doing this. Right. This, uh, you know, seeking after truth and, and going down all these rabbit holes. And it's to the point I quit my full time job. This is what I do now. All right. That's how important this stuff is to me. I want my children to have a future. And that's kind of where we're at. And I see all of this social engineering going on. And that's the bottom line here. And it's all steering us towards this transhumanist agenda. And that's the point. And that's the important aspect of this. It's all about digitizing human consciousness. And I know it sounds like a, a bridge too far for some people, sounds a little ridiculous, but it's absolutely about engineering the human mind for capitulation to programming with the machine and enmity with the machine. One-on-one -on -one with the machine, this, this parody with computers. And that's what all this BCI device stuff is all about. Another interesting thing that's happened since I wrote the first book and this second book about autism now also is in the first book. I made a prediction. I usually don't do this, but I saw the writing on the wall then. 
And I made a prediction that within the next several months, Elon Musk would come out and say that he can cure autism with his Neuralink device. And sure enough, he has since then done so. He's come out and said he's pretty sure that with Neuralink, they can, quote unquote, solve autism. And of course, he also claims to be on the spectrum as well. So this also is, in my estimation, one of the aspects of the social engineering portion of this thing going on, of this agenda. You present, this is the richest man in the world. He's autistic. Okay, it looks like it's an advantage. They do very well for themselves. This could be an advantage for some people. So they're trying to convince people that this is actually more of an advantage than a disadvantage to have this. And just that jump in the statistics that I have recorded here, 15% increase of those high-functioning autists over the course of three years, a little over three years. It's absurd. It's absurd. Like The statistical probability of something like that happening for any type of a condition over that short of a time period is just astronomically unrealistic. Let's put it that way. So that suggests to me that there is an engineering portion of this or aspect to this whole agenda going on. But uh, at any rate, in my view, I found all of these connections with autism in particular, as well as some of these other conditions with this transhumanist notion of things, this big push that we're definitely going to be seeing over the course of the next several years here. We're already seeing a soft push towards this. And it has to do with this whole digital panopticon control grid that the power structure of this world is attempting to set up. And we see the ramifications of this. We've seen the ramifications of this through this whole COVID pandemic thing that went on. We see how they were trying to normalize the notion of having a type of vaccine passport or some such thing and trying to keep people doing social distancing, mask wearing, all of these things. In order to get into this place, you have to do these things and follow these rules. And if you don't, well, we'll deny you service. And that was kind of a soft rollout of what will later be adopted as a social credit score, already been adopted in China as well as other places. And the infrastructure for that's already in place here in the West. It's just not been fully realized or recognized yet or rolled out on the public like that. But certainly it all ties together. And we have this medical information tied to that because it's all about creating this centralized utility that has all your data on it, every data point that they have on you in one central ID program, even your social credit score. So with that, they can use that in order to lock you out of places if you're non-compliant with things they intend to do this with the central bank digital currency mm. which they're also heavily rolling out so what they're going to do and this has all been speculated in their white papers and everything else it's all out there you can find this stuff what they talk about is universal basic income and of course it'll be a digital income that they give you and your social credit score and everything will be attached to this as well as all your biometric information and what they're going to do with this central bank digital currency is they're going to make it into programmable money. So if you don't use this money by certain expiration date, well, it's gone. <laughs> and if, if you don't use it for what they say that you can use it for, it's gone. It won't work for anything else. And we have like the soft rollout of this. It's been indoctrinated into the people 
already. Think about systems like food stamps. I don't know if you're familiar with food stamps, but how that works, they give you a little credit card thing now, and they put X amount of dollars on that, and you could use that per month just to buy food and nothing else. You can't buy anything else with that but food, and there you go. And if you don't use it, well, it carries over to the next month. But the next step beyond that with this programmable digital currency is they'll put expiration dates. They'll be able to do that on your money and be able to tell you exactly what you can and cannot spend your money on. And so we have the infrastructure in place to do this already. It just hasn't been utilized just yet. So at any rate, this is all part and parcel of the plan. And it's... It's, it's beginning to really materialize. And it might take probably a good generation before we see the whole transhumanist notion of things kick in full spectrum. And what we would call that is what we would refer to as the singularity. When we achieve that transhumanist singularity, that's when everybody will be, will have the uh, digital neocortex mm -hmm. through a BCI device attached to the greater web or the greater grid, the next generation gen uh, internet technologies, this kind of thing where your mind will be directly wired into the system. And of course, this creates all kinds of different philosophical conundrums for people in and of itself. But uh, the, the rollout phase starts with digital currency, programmable digital currency, social credit scores, this kind of thing. So Guys like Ray Kurzweil are predicting the singularity by like 2049 or 2045, right. two dates they've been they've been talking about. And of course, we see all of their Agenda 2030 stuff. They're trying to line up all their ducks in a row with all of this. And that all relates to this whole social credit score idea, programmable money, all of this stuff. So it's a control mechanism, essentially. And once they have your brain hacked into the system, well... Then it's game over. I mean, they can pretty much control anything you do. And we're, we're talking right down to the thought police becoming a reality because they're slowly setting up the infrastructure for what's called the Internet of Thoughts, which is a subsystem of the Internet of Things. This has all been talked about in white papers and stuff, too. So we have all of this stuff. And I know this sounds like a lot of information. It's a lot to try and pack into one show here. So oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to get I'm like, there, there's a lot of. A lot of we're not going to get it done in an hour, not even close. So, so, so we're we're hitting, hitting the high points. Do your own research, buy uh, Wayne's book, and 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 look into it. And we'll probably do a couple of follow up shows to get into specific areas because we can spend hours just on on one specific area. There were a couple of bridges built here, right? And 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 we we jump from right from autism to the singularity. And people are like, well, how are you making that jump? You know, so so we have to we have to build that uh that uh I don't know thought bridge over you know the the, the that bridge of ideas right B bridge it over and link it all together. Even though you did do a really good job at at laying this stuff out, right? And and I I I made a couple of mental notes for sure. Some of them are going to go, but but back to autism and it being normalized, right? The, the term neurodivergent comes to mind. Because what what they're doing is saying that and and you know if if there's a lot of people that really agree with this and, and there's you know I, I think it has to do with um, political correctness in a lot of ways and and a lot of other things you know and maybe some of the stuff that you were talking about Wayne but uh, neurodivergent is well there's nothing wrong they're just different 
they think right. different. They do things differently, you know, and, and it's true. They do things, they do um, do things differently, but is there something wrong? You know, and, and I remember a time I am old enough to remember where, where it was acknowledged that, that um, autism, you know, wasn't necessarily something that you wanted for your kids. And, and a lot of people in the alternative community were preaching, preaching to the choir here. People, a lot of people are going to be like, of course, and that it's a no brainer, but there's a large number of people outside of us, outside of this bubble that think very differently, you know, and, and for a variety of reasons. And I think they're well-meaning people, but they don't want to listen to the other side when we talk about the environmental factors and how they affect um, humanity. Right. And, and uh, while I, I was, while you were talking, I, I started looking up a couple of things because I remember the Amish in particular, go look that up now. I challenge anyone to go on Google and look up the Amish and autism. All you get is uh, debunking. Um, no, Amish kids are not immune to autism. And these are very general terms here that they're using here. Nobody said that the Amish were immune to autism. We're looking at the rates of autism, right? But Interestingly enough, um, I, I see this a lot here in the South Bronx, a lot. You know, I see uh, expressive and, and receptive language delays. I see a lot of autism, a lot of it in the kids. And, and it's, it's alarming to me how many different kids in one area <laughs> are affected with this nowadays. I I don't remember it being that way. I just don't. And and the and uh the mainstream and this is mainstream scientific literature in a lot of a, a lot of ways there is some of the contrary scientific literature that is mainstream also supporting some of the ideas that we've talked about here. But um a lot of it is is saying that it's you know it's awareness now. People are more aware. They weren't aware before. Now we're aware. And this is why we see this increase. I don't subscribe to that point of view. I just, I just do not. Right. And uh, um, the, the highest rates of autism, at least here in New York, but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say that around the country, don't, don't uh, quote me on this, but go look it up. I think it's between black, Hispanics and Asians. Um, uh, we are the highest rates. Um, and and I, I see it here all the time. And and why is that? I mean, the Asians, I, I don't know so much, but uh, like the black and Hispanics, we we are surrounded by the worst possible things, you know. <laughs> and, and and when we talk about um, and it's poverty, but it's po it's 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 more than just poverty. It's poverty in the inner cities. And and and, and what we're you, you went back to the 1900s and 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 the late 1800s. When was the Industrial Revolution? When did that pop off? Do you remember off top? Oh, there you go. That's that's one of the points that I got to in doing right. this research. The Industrial Revolution, and there's a very important subcategorization, like a, a sub-industry in the Industrial Revolution that kicked off at that time, and that's right. the aluminum industry. Boom, right. So just prior to the advent of the aluminum manufacturing industry, there was no such thing as autism in the record anywhere, yeah. anywhere. 
And it's only after that that this condition began appearing. And it's got significantly different features to it than some of the other ones. Now, up until even into the 1960s, it was largely diagnosed as a subcategorization of schizophrenia or like a pre-schizophrenia type state. That's what they mm. thought autism was. Yeah. And Leo Kanner is the first one who actually put the name to it when he did his groundbreaking studies on autism and gave it the name. And there was one gentleman prior to him that actually saw a similar condition, and he called it infantile autism. Infantile autism. And this, the very first usage of that term was in 1911. So you're talking right at the beginning phases of the industrialization of aluminum production. So this, in my estimation, is an important factor to consider here because aluminum seems to be a significant substance connected with autism. As much as they want to try to deny it in the scientific literature, it's absolutely, it's always there, always present. If people are unaware, and I'm going to go there with the whole vaccine discussion now, uh, I hope you don't mind. You're not planning, right on putting this on, not planning on putting this on YouTube or anywhere like that. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, <laughs> I know that's a joke, right? I, I got to be careful world, what I say. Freeworld.fm, ladies and gentlemen, go, go sign up. We can have these discussions freely. And this is another thing, whether you agree or disagree, we should be able to have open discussions about it, right? And and, and and to have op evidence-based discussions where things aren't poo-pooed just because of your point of view. Your right. point of view, it's it's because it's backed up with research and evidence, and we can say, well, here's this. Why are you not looking at this? Why is this not important? You know. But anyway, different different thing. Go ahead, sir. Well, just to get uh, across the bridge here to the whole vaccine thing, the number one most utilized and used adjuvant in vaccines is none other than aluminum hydroxide. God bless. So uh, that being the case, um, it, it's it's there. They use it as an adjuvant. And for people who aren't familiar, what an adjuvant is, is this is ostensibly an ingredient they, they put in a vaccine to kind of supercharge or give a kickstart to the immune system because your body recognizes this toxin immediately when it's injected in you and your immune response will immediately kick in and begin to fight that substance. And with that substance, they also give you, of course, the whatever it is, whatever they're trying to immunize you against. And of course, the terminology has all changed with all of that, too, right. over the course of the past couple of years, because now they've really looked heavily upon this mRNA technology to try to be the deliverable bill of goods here. Oh, that's the new thing. Or stuff. Right. Yeah. And uh, we actually talked to this prior to the rollout of this whole COVID thing, the COVID vaccine and stuff, Billy. If we go back and look at, uh, on the fringe, we talked about, I was talking about things like click vaccines and stuff years ago, right. years ago. And all of this is the same types of technologies and talking about making a universal flu shot and all of that stuff. We would, we had talked about that and I was trying to warn people about it then too. And now we're just seeing just absolute horrors from the, all of these COVID vaccines. A lot of mainstream scientific journals producing evidence that's, that's really damning against these things, but largely it's still getting pushed under the rug and not talked about. And, and that's, that's a shame. But uh, no, one of the number one, yeah, one of the number one things, though, it relates back to this whole advent of the aluminum industry and the appearance of these symptoms all of a sudden 
in people during that time. And not any time prior to that was it ever talked about in the medical literature. You never saw anything like it until that point. So to suggest that autism has been with us all all along and it's just something that's, well, it's, it's neurodivergent, it's different, but there's not a problem with it. That's nonsensical to think that. And to think that it's just because awareness is up now or it's overdiagnosed or it's it's better diagnostic procedures, that's all nonsense too. Uh, I could tell you my four-year-old son, we knew immediately he had autism from the time he was, oh, just about six months old or something. And we were telling the doctors, we took him to the autism center, had him diagnosed and stuff like that. They told us, oh, he doesn't have autism. He doesn't have autism. Bring him back next year. Bring him back. And we brought him back. And sure enough, the doctor made a diagnosis. He's got autism. Because we know we had two prior kids. Right, right, we right. knew what symptoms and signs to look for. I knew way ahead of them. I could probably tell those doctors a thing or two about autism. I'll be honest. I don't mean to brag or anything. Right. I don't see that as being a brag. But right. It's not something I've had you want to, to brag about. It. Right, exactly. Right. Right. It's something I've had to live with for 15 years. Uh, day in and day out, and it's not easy all the time, and it's it's hard to find help. And it, you know, especially back when my first son was initially diagnosed with this, and we were going through all the the challenges with him, there was less resources and help out there for it than than there is now. Yeah, and you know that that's only going back fifteen years, but in that intervening fifteen years. Like there's there's so much more available now. You could get help. You have people who understand things a little bit better. They can offer uh, different types of guidance for these people that have these neurodivergent type symptoms and be able to work with them, set up IEPs in their school and stuff. That's individualized education plans and things like that to really cater to this individual to try to give them the best possible outcomes they can for everything. But at that point, it was like, we even took him to the Children's Health Center, the Children's Service Center is the name of the the local uh, counseling place in the area. We took him there to get diagnosed and the psychiatrist wouldn't even see him because he was too young, because he was like two years old at the time. And we knew like, because he, he couldn't sit still, like he had some profound uh, ADHD symptoms, like even to the point where when he finally did get diagnosed after we had to really search high and low to get a psychiatrist to, to see him and diagnose him, he was diagnosed with extreme ADHD as a comorbidity with the autism spectrum disorder. So uh, there's a lot of these things that really cross different boundaries that people aren't aware of. And uh, it was bad. And the only reason we were able to actually finally eventually get him diagnosed properly was because he was starting kindergarten and we took him to the school for the meet the teachers and stuff. They, they had a nice little day set up where they would bring the students in, let them see the classroom and this kind of thing and meet their teacher. We took him down and the principal happened to be there and, you know, was meeting and greeting the kids. And, you know, he ran out the side door and ran out almost into traffic and I had to bolt and catch him. And the principal was terrified because he just was that, he took off like, like a, a, a shot and was able to just fidget the door open and out the door in the blink of an eye. And at that point, we were used to that. I had to actually manufacture a special bar for my sliding door way up at the top because, you know, one day he went out the back door and was halfway down the driveway before we fig- we discovered he was out the door. This was when he was two years old. He did that. 
So we we were used to that. He was constantly, you had to stay right, right on top of him. Otherwise, he would just bolt. Uh, so this is what terrified the, the principal, the fact that he ran out. And not only that, I ran and had to catch him. And then when I caught him and I grabbed him and picked him up, he was hitting and kicking me and everything else because he also uh, had some other comorbidities along with the autism spectrum. So she was terrified and they weren't going to take him in kindergarten unless they could figure out what was going on. So we we were forced to find a psychiatrist who could help him or at least diagnose him and see what's going on. And lo and behold, we found one finally that was willing to see him because all the other ones, they told us he was too young, that they wouldn't be able to diagnose him with anything. So we kind of lost hope and we were on our own for like five years. Five That's years. interesting that that uh, you were able to pick up. We, we need to have a conversation to that about that off air, about how what, what you were able to pick up on in six months, because, you right. know, it, it is like difficult to, to make a diagnosis so early, you know. Um, yeah. But so so I, I'd love to pick your brain about that. Um, oh, certainly. At some yeah. point. But, you know, um, in the interest of time, we don't have too much time left. Right. Um, I, I want to hit a couple of other things with you. Um, you talked about how some people say it's a natural part of a human evolution. Now for that, what's the definition of evolution, right? What do you, what are you thinking evolution is? And that's different, uh, from person to person, right? There's the quote unquote scientific version. If you believe that that's what happened to humanity, you know, and that doesn't mean that you're a creationist either. It just means what is the definition of evolution, right? Um, and uh, I don't. I mean, for one, I, I don't see. The, I don't see there being any evidence of 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 us humans evolving to the point that we are now. That I mean, there's still a missing link, admittedly, in in mainstream science, right? So un, until that's found, I, I don't. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I look at it as human de-evolution, what's going on right now. While we seem to be uh, advancing in technology, we're not advancing as human beings. We're, we're, we're using, using these technologies as a crutch. And, and these technologies are double-edged swords. They're, they're very good for a lot of things. And also, you, you made reference to the, the services that, that kids receive nowadays, and there's, there are a lot, a lot of well-meaning people, a lot of people that want to help and a lot of services that are there to help. Maybe, you know, um, we could be better um, equipped to do so. There's a lot of different, you know, uh, um, areas of, of, of research that people aren't exposed to, a bunch of other things like that. But there's a lot of people that want to help, which is a beautiful thing, right? And, and that that's part of the awareness aspect of all of this, that there are people that want to address it. I believe that most people are well-meaning, you know, and maybe that's my flaw, but I, I believe that. I believe that most people want to do well. It's just a different way of looking at it, of how we're going to get to that to that point. Um, it's something we need to do together. Anyway, back to the evolution thing. I, I don't think we're evolving. I don't think that I don't think autism is is part of the evolution or, or quote unquote, like, I mean, the evolution would mean that you're getting to a, a, a higher place, right? You've evolved. Is that wrong to say that the evolution is, is, you know, improving upon in a way it's adaptation, well, it, right? right? But go ahead, tell me. Well, uh, there are 
some researchers, like I said, who who actually make those claims that autism in, in the past, autism in the past has been an important part of human evolution because it creates certain pro-social skills. It, the argument that they use, and if you look this up, and particularly, like I said, that one author, Penny Spikens, I think she works, was uh, um, it Oxford right. uh, University? One of the major institutions over in Britain, I don't remember off the top of my head, but she's an academic there who's done an awful lot of research in this, and she's not the only one. And she makes the claim that uh, the advent of these autistic type symptoms in early proto-mankind was one of the most beneficial things that we had for our future evolution because they had uh these these different set of skills than the the hunter gatherers like they were the ones that would analyze things they had very comprehensive spatial awareness skills and and things like that that they were able to use and they were largely credited with creating new technologies and teaching the others and they had a very mm, special gosh. place in early society so mm. they were kind of like the shamans and witch doctors of the early ones the you know the ones that were kind of socially outcast from the others a little bit different but uh, they were an important part of the community this is the argument that she uses and this also taught people to be compassionate towards one another and helped us to evolve socially in that aspect so this is the argument that she makes and like i said it's not just her there's others too so they make the argument that autism has been with mankind all along, and it's been a hugely important factor in our evolution to where we are today. And there are those that will still that argue. Sorry, Wayne. It, it, no, it go ahead. To me like that's trying to to uh, to to put a square peg in a, in a round hole, man. That's that's what it is. Like let's that's, force it in there and and let's hope it works out. Go ahead. That's what it sounds like to me, and that's why I say a lot of this is social engineering going on from the highest level academicians out there. Uh, so somebody has a vested interest in trying to make this normal and attractive for people. And there are those who argue today that autism is the next step in human evolution. Right. So let and, me hit you with one more thing. Um, sure. I, I was looking it up and, and the, you know, the, the populations that are least affected with this are the French and, and Portugal. I don't know what areas, uh, in France and in Portugal, but it automatically takes me back to RH negative blood because that's where you would find um, a lot of the, that concentration, right. Is, is, is in France. I forget exactly where, but I know it's in France and it's in Portugal. And, and this is off, off. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's off call for you, but, but it's, it's a little off the beaten path. And I'm sure everybody that's that's listening know knows their way around the, the RH negative blood theory. What are your thoughts on that? I've actually done an extensive amount of research on the RH negative factor, mm -hmm. and I, I do find that an interesting. I, my mind was going the same place when you're talking about France and Portugal. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly, but that's also where you find a particular royal family bloodline oh. that ties back the Franks. Uh, so, uh, when you, you go back and you look at that, uh, you know, this would be your Merovingian dynasty, right. uh, if you want to look at all of that. Uh, so that might be something important to, you know, look at on a historical factor here as well. But see, here's the thing with a lot of this, we can make those associations and it seems to me like it's good circumstantial evidence to present right. the it's fact loose that maybe, right. right, that maybe there's something to it. Right. But we can't go all the way with it. And that's the problem with a lot of this stuff. 
Like there's no way to scientifically validate something like that aside from maybe doing a massive genealogical survey and collecting, I don't know, genetic material from everybody in the world. And I think aren't they're there doing people... that, Wayne. Do you think? What are they looking <laughs> for? What are they looking for exactly? That's the question. Right? Because so... they're they're collecting DNA from everybody. Now they're they're trying to pass some laws. I forget where, but it's definitely here in the United States where where if you get arrested, you don't have to be convicted. You don't have to be guilty. You, if you get arrested, period, for whatever, it may it may be a faulty arrest, right? And, and you may be completely innocent and they let you go. They will collect your DNA on the spot, on the spot. You know, and and, and the, this is the building blocks of you. This is your blueprint, the blueprint for Billy Ray Valentine, the blueprint for Wayne McCroy, the blueprint for anybody listening. Everybody is an individual. And that is what makes you up. Do we want to be giving up that uh, that that information just like that? And we have 23andMe and all these other uh, genetic sites that, that collect your information. And there's been mainstream uh, uh, military... Uh, operatives that have come out and and warned against it and said, "Don't do it." You know, go look it up, right? That, that are saying that they're they're creating gene specific weapons. Don't give up your DNA. But we're gonna get to a point where everybody's DNA. If we're not there already, Wayne, where everybody's DNA is harvested, collected, put in a bank, and experimented on for whatever reason. I want to make my way over to the singularity soon. But go ahead, sir. Thoughts on that? Well, most certainly they are collecting our DNA and they try to do it uh, through the consent principle. Hey, you want to find out about your ancestry? Here's Ancestry.com. Send us your, your genetic information. Send us, uh, you know, your sample and we'll we'll look it up. 23andMe, same thing, mm -hmm. uh, which, by the way, isn't it a coincidence that the same uh, family that owns or was the, uh, the head of YouTube, I think it was also same same family, like her sister or something, is runs 23andMe. Oh. Um, did you know that? You'll have to look that one up. I, I don't remember. I don't remember the exacts of it, but it, it, it's all connected. See, yeah. so you have all these big media, social media platforms and stuff all tied together with this as well. And of course, the whole goal is to collect everybody's biometric data, right. put it in a centralized database and have everybody's biometrics attached to their straw man identity wherein you know your bank account is tied to it your credit score your social credit score everything about you uh, all your medical data everything in one centralized utility and this gives this this new system that they want to set up that i like to call the beast system all kinds of pertinent information about you we are living in the age of big data and data is king and they have more data points on people than we will probably ever be aware of on each and every individual, and they're collecting this, and they're putting it in centralized utilities. And interestingly enough, one of the databases that they are basing this whole thing on is actually based on the National Autism Database here in the U.S. They used this as a test model to see how much information they could collect on people in this way and putting it in a centralized utility. So this is one of the, the models that they, they're using for this greater global unique identifier system. You could look that up, Global Unique Identifier, G-U-I-D. -G uh, so they're, they're looking to collect this, and they've been doing so. And it goes ostensibly into a research database where you remain anonymous, where your information remains anonymous. But if you believe that, I have a nice bridge out there in San Francisco to sell you. Um, Is it golden? So, 
If you think for an instant you could give your genetic information, oh, we won't attach any personal information to that. We're just using that uh, for, for medical studies. If you think the artificial intelligence systems can't figure out who you are, <laughs> I think you're a little dece bit deceiving yourself there. Uh, so that's the whole thing. When they have all these data points on people, it, it's, it's becoming a concerning thing. And they are collecting people's genetics. And that's the whole advent of this whole singularity notion and this transhumanist notion that people seem to misinterpret oftentimes, too. We're not just talking about electronic, mechanical computers and components. They're tinkering with human DNA and everything else. We're talking there's biologics involved with all of this, too. This whole engineering of mankind into this singularity mode. So it does have to do with attaching the brain to the computer, to the network in the cloud, the computing cloud. And, you know, we've, I know Jason and I on Secrets of Saturn have gone at many of these different white papers, these policy white papers that they put out about this, uh, like computing at the edge of the cloud and stuff like that, mind at the edge of the cloud, all these transhumanist type notions that are attached to all of this. So it is about achieving what they call singularity here. Right. And of course, like I said, guys like Kurzweil are, are stating like 2045 or 2049 as the year they think it'll be possible. I think they're a little bit behind schedule on it, if you want my honest assessment of it. But they're certainly going to push. Yeah, I mean, just look at that. They were way behind schedule on their Agenda 21 stuff. So now they transformed it to Agenda 2030. And I think they're still behind schedule on that because right. people just don't want it. You see, that's that's the whole thing. People don't want the crap they're trying to, to sell us and hook us on. So they have to be patient. And these people are abundantly patient. That's the whole thing. They, oh, they draw Kurzweil, out. For one, yeah. Wayne, is, is running out of time, right? Uh, just because he's a mortal man. He's getting up there. He said there, there'll never be, there isn't a God and there has never been a God until he becomes God. So he's getting desperate, right? He wants to live forever. He wants to transfer consciousness. And these people believe in, uh, in the law of attraction, not to say that there's uh, nothing, uh, uh, that, that that's not a real thing because it absolutely is. But, but uh, he believes it for his own nefarious purposes that, that, uh, he says it long enough, it's going to happen. So that's why he's saying it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, and he's going to be the first and he's going to be the God man. Um, good luck. Uh, good luck trying to transfer your your um, consciousness into a machine or into what. Good luck trying to make that happen. I don't think it ever will. I, I think we will see things that resemble it to some capacity, but never the real thing. It can't be done. We don't have the capacity to do it as humans. I'm saying never. I am saying never. I'm going to go ahead and say that. I never say never about anything, but I'm saying never about that. It's not going to happen. Anyway, um, you'll see the cheap knockoff of it, something that resembles it kind of, but you'll never see the real thing happen. It's not going to happen. Anyway, go ahead, Ryan. Wayne. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. What you're talking about there is the grand philosophical question that we all struggle with. And here's the thing. Uh, all right. Now, let, let's humor them and say, OK, maybe they figure out some way they could transfer your consciousness into a machine. Well, this is all based upon this material world, this hyper materialist paradigm right. that they, they view everything through this lens of, quote unquote, science, where they try to hearken everything down to a physical cause and effect type of a mode, mode of operation. 
So in that case, that's why they they always seem to defer or look away from spiritual concerns and try to break everything down to a physical response mechanism. So they try to claim that consciousness is nothing more than the electrochemical functions and byproducts of the brain and brainstem. So they try to equate consciousness down to being this. It's just a physical thing. And if it is a physical thing, then it could be replicated via algorithm. And therefore, they could transfer your consciousness into a machine. So this is the premise they come at for this. And I don't think it's true. I mean, there, there's something, there's this spiritual component that they don't ever take into consideration. What is the ontological self? What is the ontological I or I am within man? What is this divine spark we have? Well, they're trying to trying to objectify it in just the physical mechanism that is the brain and brainstem. And in my view, consciousness goes beyond that. But that's how they try to make this thing fit. This is how they try to make the square peg fit into the round hole. So that's what they do with everything. They're all about measuring and objectifying everything. And I talk about this kind of thing all the time. Because if you could quantify a thing, that gives you some measure of control over it, even if it's not an exact quantification, even if it's just imprecise and it's just a general steering mechanism, it gives them a type of control. So this is what they're attempting to do with consciousness. That's why they quantify everything. And they've actually pretty successfully quantified consciousness in what's called a Bayesian brain model. And this is the whole key when you're looking at autism and its modality, its, its potential to better fit with computer models, the Bayesian brain model. So I'm just putting those little crumbs out there for people if you want to look into it. Because this, for the first time, has actually given scientists a, an operational steering mechanism for human consciousness by making these Bayesian brain models. And that's essentially what they're trying to do here. So it's about modeling the human brain and possibly replicating it via machine and these transhumanists, most of them, they do think in terms of atheism. They don't believe there's a God, but that they will become God. And that's actually Luciferian doctrine, if you want to get back to it. That's Luciferian philosophy to the core. And all of this stuff does emanate directly from the occult, as much as I would not like that to be the case. Always does. I tell people all the time, and I sound like a broken record, any of these topics that you researched, anything that you would dub conspiratorial or whatever truth movement whatever you want to call this stuff any of these avenues of research you go down you will invariably wind up in one of two places you'll wind up back in the ancient mystery schools and the occult and you'll also wind up if you look to the future in the transhumanist singularity that's one is the the eventual goal of the other let's put it that way that is the great work as they talk about within many of these occult circles so there you go. <laughs> I don't know how much further and more precise I could break it down. Boom. I mean, talk about summing it up in, in one statement. Thank you so much, Wayne. <laughs> they kind of they tied it up very nicely in a bow. Um, we'll do this again. We'll we'll bring you back and, and we'll explore different avenues of this. But go get Wayne's book. Wayne, tell them where they can find it now. Uh, well, basically, I, I just made a new website. So I'm excited nice. about that. So everything's centralized in one place, www.alchemicaltechrevolution.com. And you can find links to everything on there. So, uh, yeah, I have my books. I have uh, the podcast, Alchemical Tech Revolution, is out there as well. You could listen to that. 
and I'm I'm all over the place lately. So uh, that's that's the central place to find me at the website. Fantastic, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That's Wayne McCroy, good friend, uh, you know, excellent guy, man. Uh, honest, truth seeker. Uh, right here on the Infinite Fringe, uh, he's been on countless times. I, I don't know how many times you've been on. I, I'm supposed to. I, I gotta tell Jason. Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to go down to Flattoberfest. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that so much, and and it, to see Jason again and, and and Devlin. You know, it'll be cool to to link up with the guys. Uh, if anybody's gonna be down there, it'll it's, it'll be dope. You know, um, so that should be cool. Uh, freeworld.fm, look out for it. It's about to happen. I know I've been saying that, but it's it's really about to happen. You know, so. So uh, go ahead and and uh, go over there and sign up. And of course, the infinitefringe.podbeam.com and the Infinite Fringe on Apple Podcast. Um, give me a five-star rating, man. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're a few away from 400. We've been there for quite a while. I, I, don't really, I don't really push this half as much as I should. So please, there's a ton of you that freaking listen. Right? Give me five-star ratings. <laughs> I'd appreciate it. America Unplugged on... Uh, on uh, on Rockfin, 12 p.m. Eastern, every Saturday, or AmericaUnplugged.com. You know, America Unplugged on Apple Podcast or anywhere you can find podcasts, actually. Uh, go check that. Wayne, thank you so much. It was it was incredible, incredible. We'll do it again soon, Lord willing. Controversial topics, nonetheless, right? Absolutely. Um, make sure you go do your research, you know, and, and uh, what we did here, and it's what I like about Wayne, we presented it as it is. We're not presenting it as as a fact. These are theories that we are looking into that are based around facts for sure, you know. But uh, uh, the conclusions that we are drawing, you know, together or independently, my conclusions or Wayne's conclusions are are you know just that. They're they're uh, theories or speculation, even though there there's evidence behind them. Absolutely, that's what we're trying to do. Um, and you are free to do the same, right? And and that's how we grow that's how we get better that's how we weed out the bad ideas and keep the good ones around and and make it to a place where we can have uh, our concerns addressed because is something up absolutely and if they try to tell you otherwise i i don't i don't know what to say about that um it's it, we are we we are intelligent enough to notice when something is up you know when something is different you know, and 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 not the way it's supposed to be, you know, and, and the terms like like uh, ableism, I think I think they serve to limit, you know, what what we can do instead of of acknowledging the reality that we have in front of us, you know, and um and, and it, while they, they you know maybe there are some instances where a person can be called an ableist, but. It's, it's such a broad term at this point. Anything like pointing out the obvious, you know, oh, you're an ableist. That's it. And it's part of this PC culture, man. And, and it, it hasn't taken us anywhere productive, in my opinion. That's, it's just what it is. Anyway, Wayne McCroy, thank you so much. My name is Billy Ray Valentine. We will be back. We're going to try to finish the year off strong. Not try. We will do, like I said in the beginning. Hang on, Wayne. Don't burn the place down while I'm gone. You guys take it easy now, all right? Bye-bye.
Oh, 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 oh,